0: how has the internet changed us?
1: For the better, a little bit for the worse. I think the idea of democracy has become strengthened, but also shows the, the weaknesses of democracy too. I think especially in light of January 6th. But I think it's an incredible tool and, like I said, the genie's out of the bottle, right? Um, There's really no going back to any of that. And also, like, I think there's some differences between social media and the idea of the internet, you know? Like, the internet, I think, has become essential to work, life, culture. Whereas, social media is a different wrinkle of that fabric.
0: From Radio Free Brooklyn and Race to the Bottom Industries, this is How the Internet Has Changed Us. What are some of the positive things about the internet for you?
2: Well, some of the positive things is I know how to use YouTube now. (laughs) Like some (laughs) of of these sites where I heard my kids talk about it. Now I'm using it without even asking for their help, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is so independent. I mean, also too, um, as an educator, John, it's like in classes where, you know, we have those kids who are bouncing off the walls where you don't know what to do. You can't get the attention. Now it's like okay, you can have these breakout rooms where you can have them one on one, where you have them. I mean, unfortunately, it's not working for everyone, but for the majority, um, it, it's it's really good.
3: I guess rapid communication is really nice. Being able to, and, and this this goes back to like you know, if we think about pre internet and what our lives were like, just communication is is amazing. I remember going into like internet you know labs while traveling and and skyping someone back home or something like that was that's pretty amazing and now it's just like ubiquitous to the point of like social media just you know you can communicate about anything to any space whatsoever it's amazing but it's also like that part of the internet which is terrifying it's like our human brains are not like wired to process this amount of like mass communication in a way to where we can parse all of it
4: but i feel like there's good stuff about it too
0: yeah. What What are some of the benefits?
4: I think you can find people that like inspire you on your phone. You can like check the news, look around, see the world outside of you, break out of your community, and uh, learn new things. But yeah, those are some good things.
5: I still think that that is real. That's just as real as these negative things. You know, it turns out like anything so much of what the internet gives us are tools that could be used for good and bad. And, you know, it's, it's ultimately up on us, you know, as individuals and as groups to decide, you know, which direction we want to go, you know, how we get there. I, I can't, I can't say right now. I
6: think it kind of continues to shift between a positive and a negative thing by which I mean, one of the first things that I thought was awesome was, um, you know, the the fact that you could be part of a non-geographically related scene, you know, in real time. Like, that's really cool. The fact that people with ideas that are very strange, especially if they come from small towns and nobody around there is doing anything except for what's mainstream, the fact that they can find each other online and, you know, originally it felt more like, um, you know, amplify the confidence of that type of creativity. People would just not be so alone in places where, you know, prior to that, they were really
3: alone. Have you heard the term Zillennial? Or it's like Zillennial. I can't remember how to pronounce it, but it's basically like a combination of like a millennial and a Gen Xer. Yeah. Where it's like, we we were like, We had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. Yes. It's like one of the main characteristics of it. You know, like we weren't, our like formidable years of youth, like our teenage years were not influenced by the internet. Like we watched MTV
5: or whatever.
0: Yeah.
3: Music, you know.
5: It'll be like us, you know, if we had the opportunity to ask people who are still alive what it was like to live before electricity.
6: You know, and I think that having that sort of almost you know tribal way of doing things I mean we're pretty far from tribal but the fact that you actually had to go to the person that held the wisdom and then you had to go through whatever rites of passage in order to talk to them sometimes that's hazing sometimes that's you know somebody looking down on you and sometimes that's just somebody supporting you and pulling you up and giving you new information um, I think that's a lot of it too is it was very personal and not
2: algorithmic
3: Yeah, there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to process with it. You know, it's interesting um, how much it's changed. Like we're reading about it on like a scale, like how has the internet changed us as like a people? And then there's like, how has it changed us individually? You know, like how has it changed your life?
5: It's changed so much of how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us, how we Connect with each other on friendship levels, on political levels, and then even on the most intimate levels. I mean, the internet has completely changed how we potentially find love, which then, you know, in terms of all these online dating profiles or, you know, how we are enticed, you know, by what we see in, in social media. And when you, when you talk about that, and you, you're talking about everything because those are the things that impact every, everything we are and everything we do.
7: What really makes me crazy is when I see a read... I have read about, like, teenage girls who, like, don't go out, but they make up a whole story at home where they went out and they do all this stuff and they post it on. they're not having any real-life experiences.
8: Did you see the Netflix thing?
0: The Social Dilemma? Yeah. Yeah, that's it was that was very good and very scary.
8: It, that's it. Amen. It was yeah. very scary. Yeah. Very scary.
0: I also talked to my nephew who's a ninth grader for this. I talked to him yesterday and like, you know, he doesn't even understand what that was like. He never will.
3: Yeah, it must seem like almost terrifying, like hard. Like, how do you talk to people then?
0: You yeah. Know? Yeah, I've been like um doing a lot of research about the internet and and how it's changed us and stuff and something that i've really realized because i stopped playing video games like i had the first nintendo and i played it all the time but then i didn't even get like super nintendo i basically stopped doing gaming by the time i was like in my early teens but as i learned more about Internet communities and the power that the internet has. Something that I've really seen is the power of gaming culture. and Oh yeah, for sure. Just how it's been like at the the center of of so many different things. Mm-hmm.
4: I think it's very powerful because you can meet someone online, and I mean, maybe it sounds weird, but there's a good. You can create a good connection with someone just because you both play the same game and you both love the game, and like, for me, I connect with old friends. And just through the game, we create, like, good experiences and memories. And, like, now there's, like, eSports, which is, like, you can get a scholarship to go to a college because of these games. So, oh, wow, it's definitely evolving into good stuff.
0: So, do you use play, you do more, um, like, sports gaming stuff?
4: Um, I kind of do a mixture of uh this one game called fortnite it's like a shooter game yeah but i used i also play this game called rocket league which has a really big community and then i used to play the call of duty games yeah but not as much anymore and then i play like madden uh and like other games with my friends so like sports and shooter games too
9: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really very telling when we have younger folks on the show versus that of, you know, folks in our generation, where, you know, we certainly grew up with more tactile um, media, we grew up with more um, analog varieties of, of sound. And so having younger folks on who are sharing sounds from their past inevitably spills out into like youtube links or you know facebook videos or we once had like someone uh share a periscope i mean like like you know and, and i mean that wasn't really very old but it's it, the the nature of being able to be flexible uh, with and uh, open-minded enough to be on the show goes hand in hand with the open-mindedness of what kind of submissions come in and that Mm -hmm. usually ends up being lockstep in with the generational uh of which our guests sometimes are a part of which is not mine
7: (laughs) you do have to get your work out there and most creative people with you know do want their work to be recognized and to be heard and shared and all that and some people really are talented at it and some people aren't it's 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 kind of like i think to be successful at anything i always say you have to be fighting you have to be firing on all cylinders and that's one of the cylinders and um you know some people like i don't like self-promotion but i discipline myself to do it so that i feel like i can check the boxes that i'm doing it but somebody who really enjoys self promotion or loves Instagram or whatever is just going to do better. Another thing that I actually don't like is the pressure to use social media. I don't love recording everything I do, I don't love being interrupted by using the phone. I really like to be in the moment when I'm somewhere experiencing something and i'm always drawn between should i post this should i take a picture of this should i capture this or should i just enjoy it and i feel like i don't i don't love that Well, one thing that makes me insane, this is my biggest pet peeve, is going to museums. For me, a museum was a church. And now when you go to museums, people look at the artwork as backdrops for Instagram. And everybody's being photographed. And they're not spending time with the work. And they're not absorbing the work. And I know even as a little girl, my parents, we lived in New York, my parents would take me to museums and I didn't really appreciate art, but just the being in the museum alone with the art, just you're there to look at the art had an effect on me.
5: I wish we had all these photos and videos that we took Mm. of us and our adventures you know, pre-internet pre dominance of us traveling around Mexico for a couple months, you know, taking buses, sleeping on beaches, or days in college when, you know, I know I took a lot of photos and videos and, and we did, but because there weren't really these online places to put them conveniently, I don't really have access to that. I don't yeah. really know where they are. I, I think I've got a lot of that stuff on an old hard drive somewhere and I'm not sure if it works, but I feel like these days, so much of the recent years of my life, I can look at and, and, and relive and remember and share, you know, On Instagram, I mean, if I scroll through my Instagram account, I can see very distinct phases of life and experience kind of unfold before my eyes or, you know, of course, privately on places like Google Drive or whatever, I I have archives of experiences like that, which are very valuable to me. I've always been the kind of person who just kind of my souvenir or my way of remembering a very vivid experience is to take a photo or take a little video. And I feel like so much of the most vital experiences of my life were just before I had these online tools. So there's like this huge black hole of of time and space that I don't have documentation of that I wish I did, or at least I wish I had access to it.
0: I think that that's part of why I'm writing this book that I'm writing, because it's the yeah, you're kind of the most alive there right in your late teens, early 20s, and you feel like you have the most, the world's as open with possibility as it's going to get. Yeah, and we are, are, like you said, we are the last generation that doesn't have every moment of that documented. But by the same token, it kind of gives that even more allure to it. Like if I can't find something If I, if there's a song or a band that I have a hard time finding on Spotify, you know, or a record that doesn't really seem to be on the internet, there's kind of this burst of excitement I get. So, yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing to think about. Maybe part of why those times were so magical in my consciousness is the mystery of it that I Mm -hmm. don't have, you know you know, a 100 photos of every day of our times in Mexico. Yeah. And all I have are these kind of almost mystical feeling memories. Yeah. And sometimes photos and that kind of documentation takes, takes the mystery out of it and makes it more of a literal type of experience, which it never really was. But sometimes that's what it makes it seem like.
7: Nothing's private anymore.
9: I don't know if this is going to air or not, but like I have just as it stands, have been um, pretty bad about like telling friends that I'm you know gonna be a dad. like I have really kind of felt fallen off the wayside in terms of just like basic communication. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is um, on account of the fact that I've sort of made my bed when it comes to you know how much internet I've chosen uh, to dictate my life. So it, it sucks that like so many people live behind the avatars and I have kind of chosen not to. But because I haven't done that, it's hard for me to like, you know, connect the dot it's hard for me to connect with people as much as I used to.
0: You know, you bring up a good point, which is the responsibility of things changes once we put the internet and all the technology in place. Because if you had a kid in the past, you would just slowly call people when it came, you know, or and who's to say that you're responsible for
9: putting up a Facebook post telling no. everybody and I'm not. No, and no one should be no one no one should feel obligated my parents know my family knows i mean and like what and then like it's basically after that it's elective
0: you know everybody's different but i don't think that i'm gonna be putting my kid on the internet i nope i think that you know and i have really close friends who i really respect who put their kids all over instagram and and stuff preference it's all good yeah but I, I I'm but not I hate kind on those preferences but I kind of in a way feel like they aren't really getting their kids consent because they, your kids can't give consent at that age. I would kind of want to wait until my kid's older and let them decide if they want to be on the internet.
9: Like, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You wouldn't want to have your photo posted without, um, you know, consent. If like it's a, a compromising photo of you, like in a bathtub or something like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the bathtub pictures. I'm like, <laughs> is that, no, but it, I, that was a joke. I wasn't actually being serious. No, is that I actually see a thing? People,
0: people putting pictures no. of their kids, like, you know, and, in the bathtub,
9: like ah, why do hop? Why does the world need to see that? Like, look, I have an Instagram for my dog boarding and daycare business, right? Yeah. Um, I I do I work from home. I figure the internet could certainly use more photos of puppies and yes. dogs. Like, if I'm going to change the world, <laughs> if I'm going to change the world, if I'm going to if I'm going to put any footprint on the internet. At this point, John, it's literally just going to be dogs.
1: I think the idea of on-demand has shifted everything. And it's shifted the way we've consumed culture, consumed media, um, sports, news, all of that. And I think, you know, there are definitely downsides to this as we've seen on January 6th. But I think it's led to a certain democratization of information
6: yeah that's right i mean especially as an independent musician you know i'm sure we both understand like the democratization of distribution is that double-edged sword it's like it means anybody can get their stuff out which means everybody gets their stuff out (laughs) you know yeah like yeah it's one of the interesting things that the lack of um what would you call that like a you know a, a spigot a kind of like bottleneck that only allows certain things out I mean, I guess you'd call that a gatekeeper when it comes down to it. But even that kind of in-breath, out-breath thing that happens with style and music and fashion and everything, I feel like that cycle gets broken, too. I feel Mm -hmm. like everything is happening at the same time, so you don't really get um, cycles in the way that you used to. We just had um,
1: gatekeepers in so many areas um, for a lot of this stuff. Um, it was just harder to do things. Um, you had to, like, accessing information, accessing news. You needed time, you needed the money, or you needed the kind of gumption, you know? And a lot of times that included time and money, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, part of it is, you know, at a time when you can't just skip, skip to the next song or just single out one song. It forces you to experience the whole of, an, of a tape or an album more than it yeah. did.
1: That's a really interesting um, and juicy thing, talking about the relationship to the music, because I think also some of it has to do with age. I just do because um, we had more time, um, or maybe I'll speak for myself then. You know, I had more time like, oh, I'm gonna listen to this, this CD that I bought four times in a row right now in my room. And I had literally nothing else to do. I mean, I think we're also talking about privilege, right? So I think the internet has enabled so many things to happen in terms of that uh so so there's that then there's just like that sort of on demand thing you know my kids barely know what commercials are you know and like i think about that of like you know watching tv watching sports when i was a kid and like the commercials seem endless right and now my kids will watch something and they can't wait to watch commercials because they haven't, they weren't like inundated with that stuff. Like I can sing, you know, the theme song to Hungry Hungry Hippos, the commercial, because I saw it so many times. It's garbage that's in my brain.
8: Remember Matt Sanders? hmm And he's into advertising. he We would sit and he would show me how... Advertising has changed how they used to try and reach a group of three hundred thousand. Now they're reaching groups of three with the advertising, and it's different for all three, but it's become more acute.
3: Yeah, it's the it's the collection of data, and that's the stuff that goes unseen too. Like um, most people don't really pay attention to that stuff, and they they don't they think it might be okay. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. a simple example on a smaller scale is Venmo. People use Venmo all the time. But your like Venmo feed, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Yeah. But you, you, like if you don't s- deliberately set your like transactions to private, they will be there for people to see. So, let's say I'm paying my like landlord um rent fees and it's like rent, you know, with a, like a little house emoji and it's like yay, Stephen pays his rent. Well, like, um, what if I'm, like, in the future, like, companies that are, like, you know, doing credit checks are, like, oh, well, let's let's do a more comprehensive credit check and see if he's paying his rent on time mm-hmm. to his landlord. Or, you know, like, how can we exclude someone from from some type of business or some kind of line of credit by looking at their Venmo transactions publicly, like they're available publicly. And if you haven't changed your Venmo settings to private, then I suggest doing that. Um, So that's like a simple example of like just having your data be private. I mean, and then there's, you know, your data that gets sold to advertisers, which is the most common use case in a lot of these large tech companies. So they can target you more deliberately and be like, you know, I was just chatting about this, you know, fireplace um, that my friend bought off of Instagram and they were just here. I can't believe that I'm getting served this ad now. Well, it's because you were in the same location and your phones know it and they sold that data and they're selling bids on you and boom, you got the fireplace ad or whatever.
8: And they can reach and target you. And it's just for, for the collection of information about you, you know how if I look something up, if I look up um, porch lights yeah, all of a sudden all those advertisements coming across are porch lights. Nobody else is getting that. It's directly to me. It's scary. It's scary.
7: Well, one of the things that really upsets me is the the way shopping has changed. I mean, this is me personally because one of the things that I loved about New York was they had all these little stores and like if I went if I traveled outside of New York I was always like wearing the most interesting something or other because you could only find it in New York and I remember like when we moved to Philadelphia I wanted leather I wanted to sew like stuff out of leather and you could only get in New York and we went to New York for a day and we found this store and we went in that store and it was so exciting and there was no other store. And now that experience has just been changed completely. I mean, also because New York's filled with big box stores and real estate prices and all that other stuff. But shopping has been really ruined, that discovery.
0: Mm. How has the internet changed us?
8: Wow. You know what? It's done. The biggest thing is done. It's it's a tough uh, uh, a double-edged sword because it keeps us in touch with people who we might not have gotten in touch. Just like you and I, our lives took a separate path, but we can still reach out and be like we were, so we don't lose the familiarity mm-hmm. in the same way you you get you get a, a, a version of isolation although you have those people at, at, at your um access virtually you don't have to ever go out your house <laughs> you know and furthermore I don't know what we would be doing everybody would be beating up each other over uh, during this pandemic yeah. <laughs> Because being stuck in the house, you know, uh, I don't know how I do it without the internet. So it came along at a good time in that way. We have to wait and see what it's going to be.
0: Yeah.
8: The past judgment on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really accelerated. I mean, all the stuff that was already going on with the internet, all those changes with the pandemic, it just like, you know, online shopping isolation facts and fiction being mixed up i mean it's just everything just uh you know they just it's stepped on the gas on all that stuff
2: i think the internet has changes for the better the only um that i see like you know people are not that educated as it, it comes to when using the internet and I, I, the information out there i can see how it fools a lot of people
0: so you said a, a- an undeniably great thing about the internet was fact checking.
8: Yeah, we'll about oh yeah, that. the fact checking again. I say that's that, that's what I find myself at most used for it. Because listen, you wouldn't believe how many windows I have opened up on my browser, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to go down. The, the, I mean, like ninety windows. <laughs> open up in your browser. or That's just my Chrome browser on my internet browser. I have a hundred and something windows open up. It's because everything I'm fact checking is as small as I'm watching uh, a sitcom on TV, and they use uh, somebody's name. Oh, whatever this brother's name was, but he invented the zipper. Did I have to fact check it? Because you don't know whether it's true or not on the internet.
0: Do you know anybody who, from their time online, have kind of gone a little crazy with conspiracy theories? Or, like, do you know anybody who's, like, gone down kind of a rabbit hole with, it, with any stuff like that?
2: Part from my dad rap to tell him, don't believe everything you read on the internet. With all this election stuff, I had actually removed myself from seeing it because it was a bit depressing watching everything that was going on in the country. But um, I, re- I can recall that day I was in a meeting online for school And everybody was, they were just distracted And my principal said, well, you know, um, you can watch this after we're done and I'm like, okay, what's going on? And as an adult, I text one of my colleagues, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, and then she texts back, you haven't heard, they stormed the camera And I was like, what? Immediately, I went on my phone to go to CNN So it's like... Stuff like that in emergencies where you have access to information, it's really great. But then, in a meeting, seeing that, it was like, what is happening? Is this America? (laughs) Like, you know, we've made so much progress, the pandemic hit. We still push through with schooling and all that stuff, and this happens? Yeah, and I know, like working with you, John, like I, I know in the past, when we had seventh and eighth grade, we always told the kids to stay away from Wikipedia. And now it's kind of like me telling them that and like sometimes I go on Wikipedia when the kids think they could fool me but then I go on and then it's like you know sometimes they cite their sources and then you go to the sources so it's more than just telling them to go which site to go to but to actually analyze the data <laughs> you know yeah. see it exactly like credible what is credible
1: Wikipedia I think is one of the great inventions of the internet I really do. And I remember when it first started and there were so many people who were like making Wikipedia jokes. And I was like, this is a game changer because in terms of what we did, how we found out how things were, we went to an encyclopedia, the library, or maybe your parents bought one from a traveling salesman, you know, or something like that. Or you'd look stuff up. But the things about encyclopedias, if those things were sourced, it was in the back of the book. I never went there. They were minuscule type. It was never anything that was part of your relationship with that information, right? So who are the people, you know, now that I'm this age and thinking about this idea of like who controls information, white supremacy culture, all of that. Encyclopedias were that. Here's just the way things are, you know? And it was this creation of a standard that was very much removed. And so what I I think Wikipedia, like I'm on Wikipedia every day because I like to know the answers to stuff and I like to know context for things. And I read those references and the footnotes for everything that's there, because I also am like, can I find out more about it? But it's all there and it's all like sourced in a really open way. And I think that's incredibly powerful that anybody can jump on the internet from their phone, a home computer, you don't have to go to the library anymore. and you can find out answers to things and i know that there's flaws to wikipedia but i think they're much more minimal than um than like the old way that's my wikipedia rant
2: don't just listen to one side yeah you believe in something but you got to see what the other side is saying too you know don't don't just take it like somebody's telling you oh, this is wrong and believe it you have to investigate for yourself you can't let these people because in my opinion,
8: a lot of these people are brainwashed. Those people who stole the Capitol, they were brainwashed. Donald Trump put a lot of facts on the internet mm-hmm. <laughs> that weren't actually facts. <laughs> you know, And I see uh, so many different heads on different bodies and it looks real. You look at a video now, you say, is that real or did they make that up? Did they create that? That's the only thing.
0: They call it the, the a deep fake, where they, they can make you know, anybody say anything. Yeah. They haven't even really used that, but man, like, uh, I could see in political campaigns, if you just have a video with whichever candidate, you could have them saying whatever you want, it'll look real, like, that's just gonna, I don't know how the, they're gonna deal with that.
8: That's scary.
6: So sometimes in a much more cynical sense, they're just kind of like parroting whatever those views are in order to get more clicks. And it's not exactly the same as, you know, somebody trying to be a voice against a consensus event or for a consensus event. It's more like um, people trying to attach themselves, you know, ramora like to these different um, scenes that exist like bubbles floating around that sometimes bump into each other and get absorbed. Sometimes bump into each other and one pops. You don't have as clear of a interpretation of the event, so you don't have as clear of a voice reacting to it.
2: Before, it was basically the news, ABC, CNN. You turn on the TV, phone was glued to your hand or you weren't sitting in front of a screen. And now, I mean, any news, I barely turn on the TV to turn on the news because I always have my phone in my hand. And that's like my go-to. So I can, I can honestly say that I've adapted to this whole new internet way of living.
7: Do I know any friends or family that have become? All, um, I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think it has had an effect on my relationship with my husband because he's a real like 24 seven phone guy, and mm. we've had a lot of tension over how much you know whether he can be on the phone if we're watching TV and things like that. And I'm sure I'm not the only. We're not the only couple that has that. Uh, My brother expresses a lot of anger through the internet. He has like a blog.
0: Do you know anyone, friends, family, acquaintances that have gone off the deep end because of their internet usage?
1: I don't think so. I have some guesses. And, you know, it's about politics stuff. And I don't know if it'd be fair to talk about it because it is concerning. I do know this is not like, this was an acquaintance and this was in those early college years, but there was a woman I remember who became addicted to online usage and she kind of disappeared into a computer lab, stopped going to classes and I think finally her parents were like, we've lost track of our daughter, and and she was like online full-time, and family and the school had to go and find her, and I think she left campus because she didn't want to sort of be railed in. That was the first instance of that that I ever heard, and it was it was pretty scary to think about that. Because also you can see how that can happen or I can see how that happens.
0: Now that uh, woman's a web developer. <laughs> yes yeah,
1: she's she's a billionaire and she yeah. her parents are happily retired. <laughs>
0: Do you have any friends or family that you feel like have gotten uh, warped by the internet or radicalized?
5: Uh, Yes, I do. I do. Uh, Particularly (laughs) there's been an issue with, with family members. I'm not going to (laughs) say names, but who uh, we discovered had a Trump flag flying in their yard this summer which was quite disturbing to me and, and my immediate family. And in talking to them, it became really clear that the, the underlying reason for that is because they've been exposed to all kinds of non factual media sources that they think are more factual than actual factual media sources that make them think completely absurdities, such as, you know, that racism isn't real and that racism is a construct created by Democrats to oppress Black people and keep them in line. Now, that is just obviously a completely ludicrous belief, but they started sending links to quote-unquote documentaries and various quote-unquote news articles that back up their belief. And it's, it was completely disturbing to realize that there's no, there was no constructive conversation you can have with them. And it's particularly disturbing because these are, other, these are who I would consider very smart people and, and sweet people in a lot of ways. And, but the fact that they, their perspective could be so warped by lies... And then that, that that would manifest in a support for obviously, you know, a racist, wannabe, fascist person like Trump was very disturbing to me. Because if they can go down that rabbit hole, then, you know, it showed me that a lot of otherwise reasonable people can also do that. And then, you know, where are we going to end up as a country when millions and millions of people think, complete lies or complete truths it becomes an extremely dangerous scenario for us.
0: Do you happen to know anyone who's gotten like really altered or radicalized by by the internet?
9: Oh yes 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 yes. Uh, where do I begin? Well, I'm not gonna name names yeah because that is not necessary and he who will not be named. friend of mine an old neighbor of mine Mm -hmm. really really went on the deep end became a supporter um, and Mm -hmm. he um, proceeded to even before that whole catastrophic time in our lives which I'm hoping is behind us one can only hope that eventually we'll move on Um, even before then I think he was radicalized and you know believing in massive amounts of conspiracy theories about you know lizard people and all that junk so it's like I mean, you can't believe any of that stuff unless you've been on wormholes and rabbit holes or whatever other holes you're going down and using the Internet to sort of solidify these beliefs that you've chosen to have. And it affected all of his relationships. I can speak upon only my relationship with him, but suffice to say, uh, he basically got canceled by everybody. And that's not cool. You know, yeah. that he would have to do that to himself knowingly that he would be canceled. But he did very much so.
0: A lot of Trump supporters and like people at the Capitol were gamers. And yeah. people, what, do you encounter that kind of stuff at all online? People th- are-
4: Most of the people that I mean, I don't surround like myself, like with people like that on purpose. But you can definitely see that. When you go on a game, a shooter game basically it's almost a hundred percent that you see someone say something you know you can you can just pick them out and see that definitely has an effect on people yeah because like there is a connection be- uh, between like school shootings and gamers yeah. I saw that, and I mean, yeah,
0: there was like the the guy who did this the shooting in New Zealand a couple years ago. He put a camera like above his head so that the in recorded himself so that it's like his shooting was. It looked like it was like a like one of the games. That's crazy. Do you have any like friends or anybody you know that? you feel like has really changed because of their time online with gaming or or anything like that they've gotten kind of crazy ideas or anything
4: i can definitely see like a mood shift or like personality change in some people when there's really nothing else you can do besides game like that's what they do yeah so it definitely affects them but they just don't see it
0: and probably that's even more intense like during like covid and quarantine and stuff because that really is like the only thing people can do.
6: Mm. I just moved back to Asheville, North Carolina on this Halloween actually and I moved from a town called Grass Valley up in uh, Northern California. Man, the overlap between a certain type of, you know, hippie thinking and How easily that can twist into QAnon thinking is something I never would have predicted. Um, And I saw it firsthand. And I guess, you know, that is a geographical thing because at the same time I was on Facebook and whatnot and people in Asheville would be like, I've heard of this thing where like hippies become QAnon. Like, that's fake, right? And I'm here just like, it is happening all around me out in Northern California. But you know, that stuff was all cute until it became something that actually was dangerous you know and by dangerous i mean both in terms of the collectivism necessary for getting through a pandemic some type of the individuality that people express and i mean obviously i'm a huge fan of individuality uh i've been weird long as you know before i knew what that word meant but watching the way in which that type of thinking makes it to where you don't feel like it's necessary for you to do things collectively um that's dangerous you know and it become it became way more dangerous this year and watching it operate and watching it get manipulated was uh you know super disappointing and then as that then twisted on to become uh what i would consider to be politically dangerous and even you know violent in some cases i mean by the time it was all said and done we had a bunch of restaurants in that town that had just straight up signed on to like a we don't care about the mandate we don't care anything about these laws we're going to do you know full-on dining everybody can come in here you don't have to wear masks it's fine and then you had you know the city council saying uh you know we're going to give a hundred dollar fines to everybody who's not wearing a mask but then you already had the mayor of the city come out as an anti-masker and you had the cops come out saying that they're not going to find anybody. It's like, you know, I I know that one of the original reasons you asked me to come on here and talk is because uh, I actually, you know, lost a bandmate to all this stuff, meaning that at one point I had to call him up and be like, hey, man, I know we've had a lot of discussions and some of the discussions were like, if you keep posting these things online, you know, how does that reflect on the band's message, right? And for people out there who don't know, like, uh, I'm very overtly uh, positive. I'm a part of a a family hip-hop group, you know. We're all about equality, all about equity, all about inclusiveness, all about the power of positivity and creativity and imagination. It's really, you know, more than any other project I've been in, it's like very vocally um, overt in that direction. And so for uh, a member of the project to be, you know, posting really snarky stuff about mask wearing, You're posting things, okay, and look, this is a family band, right? Posting things about pedophilia, posting things about, you know, how uh, Democrats are potentially pedophiles and this and that. I'm like, oh, this is so problematic, you know? So eventually it was just a matter of having to say, hey, man, you know, I'm not going to be the thought police for you, but I'll tell you this. We have to be united on stage because energetically, if we're not united on stage, it's not going to be a good show.
0: I've really been thinking about how the internet and, and all these things that you've we've been talking about in the past couple of minutes have really changed my conception of, of free speech and what free speech can mean or should mean. And it's made me a lot less of like a free speech absolutist, you know, or like a uh, anti-censorship absolutist and in, in the way that I was pre-internet, the way I remember being like when I was a teenager and just kind of thinking that if you put all the information out there and all the perspectives, then the you know the truth is gonna win because it's the truth. It's really made me reconsider a lot of that.
5: Me too. I mean this this example I just showed you, yeah. of our family members made me made me rethink that because they would be classic example of people that I would think that that formula would work out in favor of the truth. Okay, you know you can be exposed to a lot of different sources, and ultimately, if you've had some education in your life and some critical thinking skills, then you know you're going to be able to figure out what's real and what isn't. And obviously, we've seen the consequences of that not working out like that in a a lot of different ways. I think one of the solutions I've been thinking about, other than trying to figure out this very delicate dance of censoring, you know, lies, which is is certainly, I think, something I'm more open to than I ever was before, although I think it's still very problematic to go down that road because then you're, you know, who knows who ends up in the long run deciding what is, quote, true and what is, quote, false. And, and, you know, that could lead to all kinds of terrible, you know, post-apocalyptic nightmares. But one thing I think that, that we could definitely do along those lines is do a better job of online and media education from childhood. I think that, that public schools should be teaching skills to basically help people understand and better interpret what they find online. And in the media, and help give people the tools they need to think critically about these kind of things from from elementary school.
2: That's the thing, too. That's what I'm saying. It's like I don't know whoever the power that be. It's like free classes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Because and then too, when you think about the uneducated population, those are the ones who are. <laughs> going taking those drastic measures and i mean it's not all of them because it, when you look at the riot there were some educated people you know yeah. <laughs> caught up in that it's like well
3: curtailing lies on the internet is something that you know it's it's really i would say it's <laughs> I guess, like to back up, I, like I can't. I mean, I can't think about this and not think about the power dynamics of it all. And I think that the one of the underlying issues with it is that we've given like extraordinarily too much power to these tech companies. You know, Facebook gobbling up like all their competitors and whatnot, or or Amazon owning like all of the servers where people house their data and information. In addition to selling products on their marketplace and then having their own product line as well, like there's just way too much power in their hands. And then we expect them to also like police and monitor people's behavior and information. And there's just too much power in their hands. To me, that's like one of the biggest Issues and I think that there could there could be a lot that would come out of uh, breaking some of these companies up.
0: You break them up, you enforce privacy laws because their their business model works on collecting data. You know, they say if if you don't have to pay f- for the service, then you're the product. Um, right? Yeah, it's. I agree. I think that like those are the first steps. The argument whether like Facebook or Twitter can can curtail free speech, I think, is like four or five steps down the line. Also, the problem is that Congress won't do anything about regulating these things, so that you know Zuckerberg and Bezos need to decide when it gets so egregious. It shouldn't even get to that point,
5: right?
3: It it, it did get to that point, and that's when they all pulled the trigger when the there was a storming of the Capitol. Like they all like collectively moved and it took that it took that kind of action to have them i guess remove a bunch of accounts or or say that this is inciting violence yeah will that happen again like we don't know and
0: but if their algorithm level if their algorithms are geared toward mass you know as much conflict as as possible, a good Facebook post or a good Twitter post is one that incites the most vitriol, right? As long as that is is their their methodology, it's just, it is going to keep happening.
3: It, it could definitely keep happening for sure. Um, and you know, there there's a lot of responsibility to I think on their shoulders, but they're just so huge and they're almost like private governments in, mm-hmm. in many ways. And regulating them would be like massive change in laws and like change the internet in so many different ways. So there's a lot of like careful, you know, looking at some of these laws that would make it really difficult to tackle. And I think the bottom line is that, you know, these companies need to be like broken up in a way that it's like better managed.
0: Yeah. So like people argue, like it's a lot easier to argue about whether Trump should have been banned from Twitter than it is to to like tackle these these big, bigger things. That's where I'm getting the the thought that like the first two things are breaking these companies up and also changing their business model. You could do that by going at really enforcing privacy laws. Yeah, yeah, collection.
6: exactly. Well, again, it's that algorithmic thing, right? It's like, if the idea is the best way to make money off an individual is to figure out what it is they like and then give them more of it, you know, if that is the highest priority and if there's no morality involved in that, then, and also when you um, when you join that with the kind of like, it if it bleeds, it leads mentality, by which I mean like, You know, humans are, uh, we're we're pre-programmed to prioritize danger signals. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think as mammals, that's just how we are. Like, if you're walking around and you see a whole bunch of beautiful things happening and, you know, you you have peace over in this direction and you have prosperity over in this direction and you have, you know, your food for the night over here and a loving couple over there, but then there's one thing right here that might kill you, which which of those things is the most important thing? You know, clearly it's the thing that's going to kill you. The thing is that with the internet, we have been able to create a nonstop flow of danger signals. And they're so addictive to us because of that. You know, as mammals like you walking around, you're not going to have something that could potentially kill you coming at you all the time. That's going to be a relatively rare event. That's why you prioritize it. Mm -hmm. But if you can actually have a stream of, you know, whether that's 24 hour news or whether that's, you know, pundits, you know, talking up and exacerbating certain points, you can be in that anxiety ridden state all day and it gets to a point where if you do that, you feel wrong if you're not in that state
0: it's the it's the danger signal thing plus the human thing of wanting to be the one who finds the the secret passageway, the secret key, the meaning of life right where oh I you don't know, I found the thing that's gonna fix all this. I, I think that's like the the conspiracy thing that's the QAnon thing that's like the no, everyone's saying this but it's actually the, it's actually the opposite, right?
6: It's the, the puzzle-solving thing. Infused with all of that and this might be the most um, primal part of it, it's the needing to have a group thing. You need to be part of a group and you know, psychologically, to be part of a group means there are other people that are not part of a group. So you need the delineation between the group that you're in to make you feel, you know, safety and numbers safe in your pack. And you need the people that are outside of the group to delineate what your pack is. So it's like, that created that polarization even more. Like the first two things we talked about, danger signals and the, the need to solve puzzles, you know that created an addiction to this information. But then the, uh, the need to be in a group and have people be outside of that group, that created the
4: polarization.
0: And then last question, just real general, how has the internet changed us?
4: I think it's changed us through staying inside, learning new things around the world daily. Like getting information quickly, like changing the way people view school. Some people say we don't need it because the internet can do everything for us. We're just realizing how messed up the world can be, like spreading good, positive things, but also it can also like create bad things. It's just a bunch of pros and cons that whatever you take from the internet is what will come out of it and It's definitely changed the younger generations and will continue to change us. But I don't think we should be worried about that too much because kids will be kids. And I don't think it's too powerful yet, but we should definitely keep an eye on it because it can be, for me especially, it can be really powerful.
0: All right, there you have it. That was a lot to pack in. I'm going to be like the Micro Machines guy here. Thanks to cityrunningstour.com/slash New York City for sponsoring this show. You can check them out and get running around New York and learn the city's history. If you really, really enjoyed the show, you can donate to the radio station, radiofreebrooklyn.org/slash donate. Got dozens of shows just as good as this one. Please support if you can. Thanks to Wyatt, Walter, Sonia, Lisa, Jake, Steven, Alan, 23Skidoo, Scott for talking to me about this. Thanks to Seth Kaufman from Floating Action, Sean Donnelly, and Tim Bowers for the music. I got one more online show. Going to wrap it up next week. I'll talk to you guys then. Stay safe. This is Radio Free Brooklyn. Race to the Bottom. Peace. Out in
2: the street, they call it Race in the